Let's uh, let's go to our Bible study today. Our Bible study today. Our Bible study this week is all about uh, prophecy and the Bible. Exciting, definitely. So, yes, last week we did uh, history and the Bible. This week, prophecy and the Bible. And there's going to be some key thoughts that we're going to draw out of this. Uh, one of the key thoughts, actually, I'm going to I'm going to diverge here for a moment. And uh, do you have a yes? You've got a Bible there. We're all set, ready to go. Let's go to Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah. And we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, Isaiah chapter 42. Joel, I'm wondering whether you can read for us verse 8 and 9. All right. Isaiah chapter 42 verses 8 and 9. And the word of God says, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Okay, so God makes a big statement in the beginning of this passage right here. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. Um, I'm not going to give my glory. I'm not going to share my Godship, so to speak, with anyone else. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give my glory to anyone else. So God comes along and says, I'm God. That's it. There's nobody else. But then what is interesting is what God, the, the method by which God chooses to back up that claim. And so in verse 9, he says, Behold the former things that have happened, mm-hmm. uh, and new things I declare, before they spring forth, in, in fact, before they happen, I'm going to tell you about them. Now, the ability to tell the future is clearly supernatural, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Okay, so when you find something supernatural in the Bible, then that is going to indicate a supernatural origin for this book. How much of the Bible do you reckon is made up of uh, prophecy? Ooh, um, not too sure. It's a big chunk. It's nearly one-third. Oh, really? Yes, it is nearly one-third. Nearly one-third of the Bible is made up of prophecy. Okay, Um, And so if we, in fact, this is a bit of a theme in Isaiah, in the the middle chapters of Isaiah here. If we go over to chapter 45, we find that God introduces himself to Cyrus. What's interesting is that God is doing this over 100 years before Cyrus is born. Wow. Yeah, so imagine... 100 years before. Yeah, imagine if you were reading the Bible one day, Joel. Yeah. Is your name in the Bible? No, I don't think it is. No, but imagine if you're reading. My name actually means the Lord is God, and I think there is a line somewhere that says that. There you go. I I got a feeling somewhere (laughs) that uh, that Joel has a uh, a biblical ring to it. I'm going to have to look that up. But um, imagine reading the Bible, and one day you come across a description of yourself, Hmm. and from Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 28 all the way down through Isaiah 45 and verse, oh, down to about verse 6 or so, you have God introducing himself to Cyrus, telling Cyrus his future, telling Cyrus what he would do all 100 years before he was born. And if we look at, let me just see here, verse 4. If you could read for us verse 4. Verse 4 and 5. From chapter 45, it says... For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. Okay. 
Notice what God says. I'm God. There's no one else. Let me prove that to you. I named you before you were born. Before you had ever heard of me, I gave you your name. And so once again, God is coming along and he's introducing himself in this case to someone specific and saying, I'm God, I'm the only one, there's no one else who's God, and this is how you can know, and that is because I can predict the future. Now, prediction is the shakiest foundation that you can give to any religious, the, 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 the riskiest, let me call it the riskiest, the riskiest foundation you can give to any religious movement. And this has been proven over and over and over and over again because every religious movement outside of Christianity that has begun with predictions has never lasted more than the lifetime of the founder of that religion. Mm. Prediction's kind of hard. Yeah. And so uh, in this case you have... You know, the Bible is full of... And this is one of the reasons why, if you look at the sacred texts of other religions, like the sacred texts of Hinduism or Buddhism or, you know, Islam or, you know, the other great world religions, they studiously avoid anything to do with prediction because it is the easiest way to destroy your credibility. Absolutely. God goes the opposite direction. And God goes, yeah, you know what? Um, I'm going to embrace prediction because this is the easiest way to establish my credibility. Amazing. It is. It is. Let's go over the page now. One more verse on this, uh, chapter 46 and verse 8 and 9. All right, and that says, Remember this and show yourselves, men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God is, and there is none like me. Okay. Interesting passage that we've got right here. Once again, is I'm God. There's no one else. How does he back it up in this passage? How does he back up that claim that he is the only one who is God and there is no one? What does he claim that he can do? He tells us to remember the former things of old. Yes. Again, referring to he knows the past That's and right. he knows the future. And he knows the future. Mm. Um, so if you uh, look here. Um, oh, we missed verse 10. We missed the, the best part. Oh, okay. I knew there was something we missed out. Okay, verse 10. All right. Verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Okay, declaring the end from the beginning. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so when God says that he declares the end from the beginning, God is basically saying, look, at the very beginning of time, I already know how the, I already know how the story ends, and I've written it down, and you can go and read it for yourself. Yeah. Big claims by God. Definitely. Uh, and the Bible is full of these kind of claims. And are there any of them that have ever failed? No. No. Not a single solitary one. That should kind of catch your attention, shouldn't it? Absolutely. But I think it's so interesting that God tells us what's going to happen in the future. Like, he didn't have to, right? He could have just left that part out of the Bible. But he does this so that we can be prepared. Um, and again, I think this just refers to the kind of God that we serve, who is caring and wants us to know what's happening so that we can be better prepared. Absolutely. 
couldn't agree more and it's an illustration that I guess I've used and maybe even overused many times but uh, imagine if you uh, fell pregnant but had no idea you'd fallen pregnant Mm. and you suddenly went into labour and you went to hospital and when you got to hospital, it does happen at times when, when ladies fall pregnant and have no idea and when you get to hospital, imagine if the medical staff told you absolutely nothing they didn't tell that you that you were pregnant and in labor and about to have a baby. Imagine if they said nothing. That would be pretty terrifying, wouldn't it? Extremely. Okay. Compare that then with um, falling pregnant, knowing that you're falling pregnant. The doctor tells you you are pregnant. You go to a prenatal class, a series of classes. They have experts who then step you through the whole process of giving birth, the day comes, you know everything about what is taking place, everything is explained, everything makes sense. Big difference, isn't it? Absolutely. And it takes away that fear as well of the future. And that's what Bible prophecy is mm. like. The Bible says the end times are like birth pains and the prophecy is the prenatal class. Hmm. It is preparing, it is taking the fear out of what is coming in the future. That's great. Anyway, let's go to, we're going to talk about uh, historicism and prophecy. And basically, the, there are three great schools of prophetic interpretation. Historicism, preterism, and futurism. futurism. Indeed. We're going to talk about historicism because it's the right one. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to back that up as well. But, uh, Joelle, what's futurism? Any ideas on futurism? I think it's taking what the Bible says and just pushing everything to the future as if nothing what um, the Bible says has happened already or is currently happened. It's just still coming. Okay, so everything is in the future. What about preterism? I think that's the opposite. It's the opposite. Past. Yes. Okay, so basically your preterists will put uh, all Bible prophecy fulfilled by the end of the Roman Empire. Okay. So Bible prophecy doesn't extend for a true preterist past the Roman Empire. Uh, Preterism is very much built around, not entirely, but very much built around the non-inspiration of Scripture. Mm. So when they read the book of Daniel, for instance, they say that, well, Daniel was written during the Roman era and is a record of history rather than a prophecy of the future. Interesting. Uh, Revelation, they will say, okay, this is a reflection of what what John is seeing happening around him and applies to the Roman era in which he lives rather than to the future. Hmm. Okay, so that's one extreme. Futurism, as you said, goes to the other extreme, uh, where futurism will try and push nearly everything into the future. Nearly all prophecy extends into the future, or exists only in the future. Historicism, on the other hand, says that prophecy was fulfilled in the past, is being fulfilled in the present, and will be fulfilled in in the future Mm. and it encapsulates all of those we're going to look at Daniel chapter 2 as an illustration of this as we look at Daniel chapter 2 let me give a little bit of background to this very very famous prophecy many refer to this prophecy as the ABC of Bible prophecy Uh, it's kind of the foundation on which all prophecy is built and uh, maybe Joel maybe you can give us a, a, a brief rundown of what is happening in the, f- in the early passages of Daniel 2 
interesting discussion and dream and what what's all what's all taking place there yeah so the king of babylon nebuchadnezzar he has this wild dream um and he asks his wise men his astrologers um to tell him what the interpretation of the dream was not only that but to tell him his dream so, okay so that's that's he has a wild dream and then he has a even more wild request absolutely so he's like tell, you tell me what i dreamed the other night yeah i i could never do that and yet, no. that's what he expects his his wise men to do. And obviously, their reaction is the same. I can't tell you what you dreamed. Um, so they said, "No, tell me what you dreamed, and then I'll interpret it." But obviously, that didn't happen. Um, and he's like, "Well, I'm just going to kill you if you can't do what I ask." As you did if you were Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, I know? assume so. So <laughs> um, he actually starts killing all of these people, and it ends up um, Daniel, who is kind of next in line to be killed. He's like, "Why am I?" Why am I going to be killed? What's what's going on? And um, it's explained to him, Nebuchadnezzar has this request. And he says, wait, give me some time. Let me pray about it. And him and his friends get together so that they can pray and ask God um, to give them the dream and the interpretation for King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. And of course, yeah, God steps in and intervenes and does amazing things, uh, reveals to Daniel the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had. And... Gives him the interpretation. It's kind of interesting that God can give the same person, no, the same dream, I should say, to two different persons. Yeah. Um, okay, so let, let's just have a quick squeeze here and let's see where we're going to pick up this story. Daniel chapter 2. And ooh, let's begin. You know what? For the sake of time, let's begin in verse 31. And in verse 31, what is happening is that Daniel is explaining what the king saw in his dream. Mm -hmm. Go for it, Joel. All right, until where are we reading? Uh, Verse uh, 31 through 35. All right, so it says, You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like shaft from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay, there's a pretty dramatic dream right there. Yeah. Have you ever had I a dream? I wonder how Daniel felt look, um, having that dream himself. Yeah, I know. He'd be like, what on earth was going on inside of Nebuchadnezzar's head that gave <laughs> yeah. him a dream like this? But then he realizes, probably nothing. This is a dream that came from God. Definitely. Okay, so uh, we have a dream here of a metallic image. How many metals? Gold, silver, silver, bronze, and iron, and then iron and clay. Yes. So we don't really count the clay as being a metal. So we'd say four metals. Okay. Uh, and then the rock. We don't count the rock as being metal either, so we'd still say four metals. So you've got four metals followed by a mixture of iron and clay, which is kind of a weird mix, mm. followed by the coming of a rock. So that's really the elements that we've got within this dream right here. What we're looking for is some clues on how Bible prophecy is interpreted. Mm-hmm. And we're particularly going to look for the successive, the successive nature of Bible prophecy, where it moves down through a stream of history. 
And then we're going to look at the principle of repeat and enlarge. Uh, let's read now verse 36 through 39. If you could read those verses for us, please, Joelle. Absolutely. So it says, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. Okay, so this is a question. What aspects of this dream indicate a continuous, uninterrupted succession of various nations down through history? Well, it says after another kingdom. So it says, after you shall arise, and again, yeah. after that one, after that one. So that's a, those are connecting words. Mm-hmm. They're not giving you any space between not the... Not at all. There's no gaps. There's no gaps. So we've got a continuous succession of powers uh, coming down through history. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Daniel chapter 2 is where we are. We're looking at the prophecy of Daniel chapter 2, and we have noted... There's no actual break between the different metals, is there? Mm-hmm. No break. This is not an image that has gaps in it. Not at all. It is a, an image that is well-constructed and neatly fitted together with each metal fitting into the other uh, metal that comes before it. And so there is obviously an uninterrupted succession of various nations down through history. Okay, so here comes another question. In what way, it's from the same passage really, in what way do we uh, have the Bible itself showing us how to interpret this prophecy? Okay, so let me ask it this way. The head of gold. Well, Daniel said exactly who that was. Okay. So he so, just gave us the answer. So we don't have to guess. Not at all. It's really, really easy to do a quiz when somebody gives you all the answers, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. And it's a little bit like... It's a little bit like with Bible prophecy, it's a little bit like color with numbers. Did you ever do color with numbers when you were a kid? A little bit, I think so. Yeah, I remember back in the day we used to have coloring in books. And I remember the coloring in books that always had a number. And you look on the side and the number would tell you what color pencil Mm. to use on that area. And so Bible prophecy is a little bit like that because you look at the Bible prophecy, the meaning is not immediately apparent then you just simply decode the symbols that are there. You put those symbols into those spots and suddenly the prophecy is all colored in. So you look at a metallic image and you're like, well, I have no idea what that means. And then Daniel comes along and Daniel says, well, the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar. What does he say about the chest of silver in verse 39? So he says that this kingdom is inferior to okay. Babylon at that time. So which kingdom was that? Ah, that would be the Persians. Mm. And what else to say there in verse 39? And then the third kingdom was of bronze, so another inferior kingdom to the previous one. And then in verse 40, a fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, shall be a, the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. And so basically what Daniel has done is he has told you who the first who the head of gold symbolizes mm-hmm. and what the metals symbolize. Yeah. Okay, so then how would we go about interpreting this vision? How, okay, we know, we, can, we know we're starting with Babylon. How do we figure out who comes next? 
Well, can we just look at the history books? Exactly. Mm. Just go and look it up on Wikipedia, right? Yeah. It's all there. <laughs> who conquered the Babylonians? Oh, the Persians did. That was easy. Uh, who conquered the Persians? Oh, the Greeks did. Surprise, surprise, they're called an empire of bronze or brass. Very um, fitting. And then, uh, well, who conquered the Greeks? Rome. Rome did. And interestingly, they are the kingdom of iron. And then the Bible talks about the, uh, the mixture of iron and clay. And in one of those verses, it describes it as miry or sloppy clay. Hmm. And now we live in the empire of, wait for it, concrete, which is a mixture of iron and sloppy clay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a great way of uh, exegesis right there, but that's just a, just a little observation um, that we can observe as we pass through the prophecy. Okay, so you've got four medals. You've got four successive kingdoms. The Bible is telling you that the medals symbolize kingdoms. In Daniel chapter 7, you've got beasts. How many beasts do you have in Daniel chapter 7? I think it was four as well. Four beasts in Daniel chapter 7. And what does the Bible say that a beast symbolizes? A kingdom. A kingdom. And so you've got four kingdoms in Daniel 2. You've got four kingdoms in Daniel 7. And then you'll find that during the lifetime of Daniel, the prophet who is writing these prophecies down, the Babylonian Empire falls to the Persians. Mm -hmm. And the last two prophecies that Daniel gives, he leaves Babylon out. So how many do you, think, do you expect you're going to have in the last two? Three. Three. Okay, so this is going to help, excuse me, help us to understand how God gives prophecy, God's method in giving prophecy. And very simply, the way it works is this. Repeat and enlarge. Mm. So each time God has given the prophecy, uh, God has repeated the same thing and added extra information. This is God's method. That's really helpful. It is. Okay, by the way, the coming of the rock. Who is the rock a symbol of? The second coming of Jesus That's and his eternal kingdom. Absolutely. Okay, so with the coming of the rock, we've got the return of Jesus Christ. And so you've got a prophecy then that begins in the time of the prophet mm -hmm. and extends to the end of time. Yeah. So that's a historical prophet. That's a prophecy. That is a prophecy that is based around the principles of historicism. Mm -hmm. Prophecy has been fulfilled in the past. It is being fulfilled in the present and it will be being fulfilled in the future. How do you think this one is being fulfilled in the present right now, the Daniel 2 prophecy? Do we see any of the aspects of that prophecy being fulfilled in the present right now? Well, I'm just thinking of that um, mixture of iron and clay. They don't really go together, right? And That's I'm just right. thinking in the world today, there's so much conflict. People aren't getting along. There's no one um, kingdom, let's say, that's ruling peacefully anywhere. So could it be that? I think that's exactly what the prophecy is talking about. And specifically, it talks about, you know, Western Europe, the Roman mm. Empire. Uh, we can see that, you know, here you've got a, a region of the earth that for the last 2,000 years has tried to unite. Yeah. And never has. And even when they get kind of close, you have things like Brexit that split it back up again. And then you have COVID that splits up a little bit more, you know, more. all of those, all of those imaginary borders. They were all saying, oh, yeah, the borders between, you know, France and Germany, they're just an imaginary border. You can just drive straight across until you had COVID. Yeah. And suddenly they all remembered, oh, we have a border. Fancy <laughs> that. Okay. So 
interesting uh, material that we've got here. Let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 29. If you could read that one for us, please, Joel. Absolutely. John 14 verse 29. And it says, And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. And I believe that's Jesus speaking um, in John chapter 14. Okay, so what does that tell us? Um, what does Jesus say that helps us to understand how prophecy can function? I think this links to what I was saying earlier. He tells us beforehand, yes. um, so that we may have, we don't have to fear. Yes. Um, and that, and he, and he says, we just need to believe um, that it will actually happen. What he says. Now you had, oh, a really interesting question. I did. And we're out of time. Which is kind of sad. Maybe, maybe we'll do it for question of the day. We'll have to see what's coming through. Um, if we've got time, we will do that one for question of the day. But you had a really interesting question in relationship to this verse right here that I do want to 